the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. In this episode, I'll be talking to Marion Finnegan, Managing Director of Residential and Advisory with Sherry Fitzgerald, and Omber Kennedy of the Irish Times about the Daft.ie report this week on rent prices. Why are rents rising by double-digit figures in rural Ireland? And what's the outlook for the property market this year? Marion Finnegan will be giving me her view on how many new homes will be built this year and the likely price rises that we should expect to see. Now, Umber Kennedy, you were writing about this Daft report earlier in the week and it showed that uh, rents nationally rose by 5.6% uh, year on year in the second quarter. Take us through the numbers. Yeah, so um, Daft produced this quarterly report on the rental sector and it found, as you said, that uh, rents nationally rose at an annual rate of 5.6% in the second quarter, which was the strongest year-on-year increase since mid-2019. Now, the report links the uh, increase to what it described as an unprecedented scarcity of available properties. It noted that there were just 2,455 homes available for rent on its website as of August 1st last. This is the lowest number since its quarterly series began in 2006. Outside of Dublin, there were just 789 homes available to rent, by far the lowest number on record. And typically, over the last 15 years, there's been around 9,400 homes available to rent on Daft at any one time. In the last few years, this has fallen down to 4,000, and now it's fallen even lower. So uh, pretty uncompromising figures. Ronan Lyons, the author of the report, actually just you know in his um, comments on the report said, he just gave some regional examples. He said there were just 15 homes available to rent in Waterford City and County as of August 1st and eight in the whole of Offaly. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. And if you look at the regional disparity in terms of rent price increases on a percentage level, um, it's quite something, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned yeah. Dublin, um, 0.5% increase, so, you know, uh, on a par more or less. But if you go to Kerry, um, they're looking at a 16.5% increase. What's going on there? Yeah, Kerry was one of the highest one. Cork, Galway and Limerick had rent rises of between 9 and 10%, while Waterford was nearly 12% and Kerry even higher again. Uh, so, yeah, pretty uncompromising figures now if you're a renter in those places. Marion Finnegan, you work for Sherry Fitzgerald, the biggest state agent in the country. So um, you're an expert in this field. What's going on in the market? I think it's unfortunate, but it was probably largely predictable, um, Kieran. When you look back over the last couple of years, we really in the last 10 years, we've been seeing an exodus of private investors out of the marketplace. So we look at our vendor profile every year and typically somewhere between 26 and 30% of our vendors are investors leaving the marketplace. And in terms of investors coming into the marketplace, it's averaged between 10 and this year about 14% of our, our purchasers are investors. So for every one investor who's coming in, we're losing two. And that exodus of stock is particularly evident outside of Dublin. So what what we've seen in terms of government policy in recent years is that the government have been pushing for the PRS sector, so the professional rental sector, to emerge. And it has done so with some success. But really, a PRS large investor is not going to look at, um, unfortunately, Kerry or Mullingar or Sligo. They typically look at the big cities. So the most pronounced shortage of accommodation will now be in the more rural locations. And that's where the pressure is going to be greatest. So we definitely need to review our policies in terms of the letting sector. We've been probably quite complacent in the last 12 months. I mean, two years ago, we were talking and talking about rents and how rents are rising, the shortage of stock. And then with COVID, it sort of went on the back burner. 
And uh, unfortunately, the trend of investors leaving didn't in any way change in that period. So we're going to have an avalanche of demand hitting us in the coming months as the economy re- reopens and the stock just isn't there. And that's going to put massive pressure um, on pe- people trying to get back into the office. Yeah, sure. Why are so many landlords leaving the market? I mean, these are small independent landlords, uh, I-, I presume. In the main, they are, yes. Some of them would have been accidental landlords who perhaps bought an apartment or a smaller house and their accommodation needs grew and, and they, they held on to it and, and probably rented something for themselves because of the, the position in terms of prices in the marketplace. Others are your typical mom and pop style um, investors who bought one or two or maybe even three properties. But the market for investors has changed quite significantly and your typical investors now paying approximately 50% in tax. And their net yield is very, very low. The regulations are quite strict. They're not treated as a business. They have very limited um, um, opportunity to 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 um, to reduce that tax burden. And as a result, it's just not attractive for investors to be in the market. And they're speaking with their feet and they're leaving. So we do need to look at that in, you know, we have to stop this outflow of investors from the marketplace. We should be bringing stock. We need more investment properties and not losing the ones that we have. So it is critical. Mind you, Marion, if you're a landlord in Kerry and rents are going up on average by 16%, why would you be leaving the market? I mean, that's a pretty tasty increase. Yeah, they're asking rents in the main in comparison to a couple of years. Your typical rent, if you're an owner of a property, can only go up by 4% a year. So you're not benefiting from that. That would be new stock coming to the marketplace that is for new asking rents at those levels. So your 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 standing investor who owns the property, there are regulations in terms of how much their rent can go up every year. Also, you have to consider if they bought the property back in the mid-noughties, which a lot of them would have done, the, they are probably um, financing this themselves on top of their rental burden. So they're having to add more um, investment into it every year. So from that perspective, and given the level of regulations, it's just not attractive. Yeah. Now, that 4% that you, you, you mentioned there, that applies to all rental properties or just those in rent pressure zones? Um, the 4% re- refers to the to the rental pressure zones in different locations all over the country. But I mean, I think what we really need to understand is the basis on which the investors are getting their return, the comparison between the price they paid for the property and this rental income. And in the main, um, while we're probably seeing a larger exodus uh, from the big cities like Dublin, we are seeing an exodus all over the country. Owen, oh, in terms of um, the, the rental market, uh, I suppose there was a lot of um, Airbnbers who came back into the uh, long-term letting, shall we call it, uh, space, having been short-term letters for a long time. So it seems counterintuitive almost that rents would be going up in any way, shape or form. Have we any uh, sort of sense of how many Airbnb properties might have come back into the market? Well, last year we, we were writing quite intensely about uh, this kind of new supply trend from the, as you say, Airbnb guys who were essentially rejoining the long-term letting market and it seemed like to be uh, buttressing supply. But we're talking about buttressing supply from a very, very low point. Um, and obviously that supply is still probably there in some shape or form, but it's been overwhelmed by just the last 10 years where there's been a chronic undersupply of new housing combined with limits on how much people can borrow, which... Uh, you know, to, to to get a mortgage, which pushes them into the rental market, combined with an increasing government reliance on the private rented sector for social homes and to house social tenants. So essentially, we've seen an effective trebling of the rental market since 2000. And this has resulted in massive upward pressure on rents. So as, as the DAF report illustrates, uh, the average rent across the country is now just under €1,500 Euros a month. Uh, that's up around 100%. Uh, on the 2011 figure. So if you think rents have effectively doubled in a decade, 
And that's an average across the country. In Dublin, the average rent is over 2,000. So if you think back on the old kind of, you know, civics maxim where you spend a third of your income on rent, um, with 2,000, I mean, that's just out the window, that notion, you know, for, for many people on, on, on low and moderate incomes. Mario, just in terms of the Airbnbers, have you any sense of how many Airbnb properties have come into the long-term rental market? I think we saw a, a reasonable increase in the numbers coming in over the last 12 months, but it started to come back down. It was more evident, again, similarly uh, in the cities than it was across the rest of the country. But we can expect that to change. I mean, in terms of the figures that, that Owen mentioned a moment ago, if you go back to 2008 and look at the, at the, the DAFT um, figures at that point, they had in the region of nineteen to 20,000 rental properties available at any one time that year. Now, it was a particular point in time where we'd seen a lot of private investor activity in the previous 10 years. But the figures that we're seeing now are just a tiny fraction of that. And yet the demand for the accommodation is much stronger. And in some ways, you could see this is a little bit of, of a fallout from the positive effect that macroprudential policy rules have had on the buyer market where we're not seeing um, very strong re- uh, price inflation in the last uh, six years really since they came into place. But it is holding more people in the rental market for longer without actually providing that accommodation to them. So that's putting that upward pressure on rent. So we've moved from a problem of rapid rising prices to a problem of rapid rising rents, which is really the, the the point that people are at before they come in as first-time buyers. And a huge amount of the government focus on the on the property sector has been for first-time buyers, whether it's the help to buy scheme, encouraging a greater level of first-time buyer activity in the new homes market. But we can't forget before you get on the ladder at all, you are probably renting. And this is where the greatest pressure is now. Yeah, sure. Mind you, they introduced uh, REIT legislation, didn't they, which incentivized uh, professional investors to come into the market, certainly the IRES, which is the biggest private landlord in the country. Yes, and they will, and they have come in and they are providing accommodation. A lot of their investment activity to date was in terms of forward funding of development uh, of developments across, you know, the main urban centres. But again, that, you know, in, in the first instance when they came in, they bought a lot of standing stock, which was occupied. So it was good to see that stock becoming um, professionally ho- held and managed. However, it wasn't adding any new stock. Now, as their forward funding comes to fruition, we do see the development of stock that will begin to bring more product empty products to the market that will be uh, um, valuable. But, uh, you know, when you look at the recent legislative change, we're talking about um, an increase in stamp duty on the PRS sector. It's again counterintuitive. We have um, we have a focus on just providing accommodation for first-time buyers and where we see the PRS sector absorbing some of that stock, they're taxed with an additional um, stamp duty. So I think we're forgetting that this is an accommodation crisis. It's not a housing crisis to buy. It's accommodation crisis for all types of properties. And as Owen just said, We've been undersupplying the market for every type of property for well over a decade, if not 15 years now. So we need to really look at what type of accommodation we need in every location. And PRS does solve the problem in some particular locations, but it's not a national solution to the housing crisis. And we need to look at where the private investors should be encouraged to become active again. If you look across every developed property market, they have all forms of investor activity, not just your PRS professional sector. There is also room in every market for private investors to be active. And we need to look at the legislation that we have in place to ensure we're not discouraging them out of the market. And just to pick up on that point, I mean, I think, you know, at the, at the heart of, of so much uh, verbiage and so much writing and reports on the property market, we have a mismatch of supply and demand, which has, you know, been well aired. But we also have a mismatch, and this is a point that Marion just made, that, you know, between the type of supply and the type of demand in the market. So recent changes to the planning rules have facilitated building 
you know, of investment grade apartments across Dublin, uh, perfect for well-paid individuals, but maybe not so good for young uh, couples on moderate income or those wanting to start a family. I mean, if you take a stroll around Dublin Docklands on a on a Saturday or Sunday morning, it's kind of like a ghost town, and yet we've had mass building in that area. Um, so you know, we have this peculiar scenario where we have, um, you know, off, often those developments are are half let, and yet there's huge demand in the market. So, I mean, a part of that can be put down to the exodus of immigrant workers during the pandemic, but a lot of it is just because it's not conducive for young families uh, to rent in that place. Are we putting too much credence on the staff report then, Owen, I wonder, because it is about asking prices, isn't it? So we don't know where, um, you know, where landlords um, settle with tenants, maybe you have to accept a, a lower price in some cases. Um, and also, you know, maybe some properties just aren't going on daft. So if you take Capital Dock, for example, the tallest residential scheme, in uh, Dublin City, we know from Kennedy Wilson's uh, recent filing that only 56% of it is let at the minute. And it's a really high-end uh, property. It's in the professional rented sector. And there, there are very high rents uh, being paid for those apartments. But maybe that's not fi- figuring on DAFT. Now, maybe it is. I don't know. But maybe it's not figuring on DAFT. Maybe it's not being captured in that data. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a question that I'm not, I, can't, I don't think I can answer it. Um, it's 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 very difficult to 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 get at these trends. Some of them are seemingly contradictory. I think you know there's definitely a proportion of properties, Kieran, that doesn't that don't get advertised on DAFT. Of that, there's no doubt. But I suppose what's important to say is that was always true. So if you go back to 2008, there was a chunk of the market that just renewed every year, or people knew somebody who wanted a property and it was done privately. But there's this the significant reduction from that average of twenty thousand properties being advertised down to averaging you know a few thousand properties now at any one point in time. Is is a real fact that we are now seeing this very significant reduction in general choice and availability, and we will see that getting on coming under even more increasing pressure. We will have students are going to come back now, hopefully, into the college campuses. They're going to be looking for accommodation. Some of that can be satisfied by the recent developments in student accommodation, but certainly not all of it. A lot of it isn't affordable. So we'll see those coming back and putting additional pressures on the rental sector. And I think this the situation that we have now is only become, going to become more challenging in the months ahead. Marion, do you have any sense or does uh, Sherry Fitzgerald collect um, this kind of data of expats who left Ireland during COVID to go home um, and, you know, were uh, continued to remote work and, and haven't come back? I mean, uh, Owen mentioned the Docklands that if you walk around, obviously the offices are empty, um, but probably a lot of foreign nationals who are working in those offices uh, maybe have left the Docklands as well and gone back to Spain or France or Italy or where, wherever. Um, they hail from. Have you any any sense of how many of those workers have have since come back, and how many are still working remotely? I think uh, we don't have data on it, Kieran, but there is a strong anecdotal evidence that there's a vast majority of them haven't fully come back yet, and we're probably seeing a slight change in tone from a lot of the bigger employers in the tech sector and across the financial sector, where they're now talking about bringing their workers back in the closing quarter this year and the beginning months of next year. Certainly, if you look at the the swings in supply, where we saw the greatest increase in available stock at the beginning of COVID, it was in the central business district of Dublin. That was partially because people had gone home to Banlaslow or Barcelona, or we saw the the Airbnb properties coming on the market in those locations. So where we saw a little bit of a dip actually in rents in the early months of COVID in the central business districts of Dublin, we didn't see that occurring across the rest of the country because they hadn't seen the exodus. So I think what, what, what Owen is describing there of that sort of ghost town is probably the continuation of that trend, but that'll be reversed pretty quickly once those offices start to repopulate. And how much of these double-digit increases in rural Ireland are driven by the fact that, again, a lot of people decamped from Dublin back to their hometowns or villages during COVID? 
it could be part of the reason for it, definitely. Um, I, although I think anecdotally from our own experience in, in the office ourselves, people who went home typically went home to mum and dad and saved the rent so they could help themselves on their savings journey towards buying their own homes. I don't think too many of them went back and started to rent. Now, that could have changed over time. Um, but, but and, and you know, there is some, a lot of discussion around improved demand or increased demand for properties in rural Ireland. And we're certainly seeing it on the buyer market where um, your country homes and uh, are uh, in selling at an increasing pace at the moment. But, you know, the natural trends in terms of occupation in the in the office sector will reemerge in 2020. I think we're going to see while there will be more flexibility in the workforce, people will come back to work in their offices. And I think that will bring that demand back into the cities and the supply just isn't there. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Owen, the extraordinary thing about the rents data from uh, Daft is that it's it's so strong. Because when you think about it, if you go back um, to the early part of the lockdown last year, I mean, there were over 700,000 people on the uh, classes unemployed because so many um, sectors closed down in the economy and so many people were forced onto the pandemic unemployment payment. And we still have a lot of people on the on the PUP and we still have some sectors closed. So how come these rents are still so saucy? I mean, if you look at South County Dublin, it's 2,244 um, euro. You know, given that so many people were on the PUP at one stage or another and so many of the sectors of the economy were closed down, how are people able to afford these rents? Well, I suppose you'd have to think that if the government hadn't made such a major segue into supporting incomes, would they be that strong? I mean, the government have essentially nationalised part of the private sector wage bill by supporting incomes to that level. Well, sure, but the PUP is only 350 quid a week. Uh, you know, I mean, if you're paying a rent in Dublin, uh, you'd struggle to survive on that. Yeah, you would. Um, there's also then, you know, the increased savings rates. There's, 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 there's just so much pressure on the rental market from several different areas that it just seems to be bolstered uh, by a number of different areas. You know, so it, it's it's very difficult to pinpoint just why they're so strong. But I mean, the the rental increase in Dublin is only half a percent year on year, so that's pretty modest compared to the rest of the country. So we do have this kind of emergence of a kind of two tier property market. And as you said, some of the regional uptick could be down to people remote working, or even I've heard that there's a lot of people now um, enjoying their staycations and actually buying holiday homes in Ireland. So um, there's that element as well. Uh, Marion, let's just talk about the broader uh, property picture, if you like. Um, can I just ask you, first of all, Sherry Fitzgerald, what's your return to office policy? When are, when are you expecting to have people back in the office? Well, our retail network has been fully open, obviously, for the last number of, so that that is a large part of our workforce. In terms of our back office, we have a small trickle of people coming back in and we're hoping that as the fourth quarter commences after September, that we'll start to bring that back up to a higher level. But that's only one office. I mean, our retail sector has been fully opened um, since the, the May relaunch. Um, and I, I think if you look across the the, the, the locations that where our back office, um, head office, if you like, is in Sandyford, or if you drive through the city centre, it's still quite um, low volumes of people strolling through. A lot of people are still working from home. So that explains, I think, that low percentage growth in terms of, of 
the um, rental value growth in Dublin, we're still seeing a lot of people that are working remotely. Um, but I think that will change, not, you know, not exacerbated significantly in the fourth quarter, but it will start to change in the fourth quarter. And certainly I would expect to see a much higher level of occupancy in the office sector in the first quarter of next year as hopefully the population becomes fully vaccinated or as close to fully vaccinated as possible and then we see people actually returning to some level of normalcy. What kind of trend do you think we'll see in terms of remote working? Uh, have, I, I don't know if you've done any uh, if you've done any work on this or, or looked at it uh, in detail but presumably it, it kind of helps to inform your view of the property market in terms of whether people are going to be located in offices or whether they're going to be working from home and where the, you know where are those homes going to be located? Yeah, we've done a little bit of research just in terms of demand for housing. What we have seen is that people are, we, we've looked at the, our potential purchases, if you like, and, and reviewed their their opinions on the marketplace. What was interesting is that their their demand pressures were even greater during COVID. So their decision, we are going to invest or we're going to buy a property, became even more pronounced during that period. So I think what people saw was that their home became their castle. It was their office. It was their leisure centre. It was their living environment. And we saw a very, very strong demand for accommodation all the way throughout the country re-emerged during lockdown. Um, and I think we saw what the other sort of very noticeable trend is that people tried to go to their highest possible denominator. So if that was, you know, a two-bed apartment rather than a one-bed, or if it was something with a little bit more space, they were very willing to do that. There is strong demand in the Greater Dublin area. There is strong demand in a lot of the urban centres. But I think we're seeing price pressures really emerge in those locations. But again, a bit like the trends we're seeing in terms of daft, we have to remember that we haven't got the construction levels up to anything like normal. And where they have improved it is in the higher uh, urban areas such as Dublin and a little bit more stock coming through in Cork. So we're seeing strong price inflation in Limerick and in Galway and in rural Ireland effectively. And we're seeing demand being spread quite strongly throughout the entire country. But where supply is at its most, um, uh, its lowest level is in rural Ireland. And that's where the very strong levels of price growth are, are coming through as well which is what is evident in the rental market. So I think stock, the lack of stock is the biggest driving force here. And I completely understand your queries around how could we possibly afford these levels of rent. But I think it is a case that there is a proportion of people who can afford them and the stock is just so low that it's keeping those figures at that level. It is a case that, that the level of rental inflation and indeed the emerging price trends are a result of just very, very low levels of supply. Marion, how many uh, housing units do you expect will be built in Ireland this year? I think we'll probably get somewhere in the region of 20, 21,000, um, hopefully again this year. But again, if you think back to 2015, when um, the um, government launched plans for the future of the housing sector, they were they set out a target of building 25,000 units. Now, we thought we'd do that last year. We didn't. Um, we had hoped that that would occur very quickly. So we're you know, as our economy continues to expand, that absolute need is much greater than 25. It's more like 35 to 40,000 houses a year if you take into account the latent demand. So while 21,000 is a good result in a bad year, it's nothing like enough for what we need. Yeah, not bad though, given that they were closed down for so many months. Yeah, not bad, certainly for give, given where we came from. Now, remember, not all sites were fully closed down. We were able to continue to build social housing, which has underpinned that level. Um, and that certainly helped the, f- the figures overall. But it's still very low in comparison to what we need. And I suppose the biggest problem with this is that we're six years talking about building 25,000 houses and we haven't got there yet. Now we know we need to be building, you know, a lot more than that. So I think the challenge is that we need, I think, an annual demand target. We need to say next year it has to be 30. What do we need to do to achieve that? And it can't be 
just hitting that figure. It has to be hitting that figure in the right locations with the right type of properties. How many of them need to be for first-time buyers? How many of them need to be uh, accommodation for the PRS sector, the rental sector? How much of that stock should be in Dublin? How much of it should be in Cork? How much of it should be in Sligo? We need very specific targets that we can be measured against. So hitting 25,000 is such a blunt instrument to say that that's something that we need to achieve. We need a much more refined approach towards delivering um, the accommodation that we need. Otherwise, we'll be back to the position that we were, if you think in 2006, where we built 93,000 units, we didn't hit our target for Dublin. We oversupplied rural Ireland, but we never actually supplied the correct quantity of properties that we needed into the city. So it is important about getting a much more refined policy around housing need and housing supply. Yeah, but, you know, setting these um, targets, isn't it a bit silly in a way? Because um, the government actually has very little control uh, around um, how many units get, get built. I mean, some of them are in the gift of the government, for sure. But actually, a lot of them are, are in the gift of the private sector. Uh, the vast majority of them are in the gift of the private sector, and they've got to go through planning processes and so forth. And we've seen with the strategic housing developments, which were supposed to fast-track planning applications, in fact, it slowed the whole thing down. We're now getting a raft of judicial reviews uh, on these um, very large uh, sites. So um, the development of these sites is being held up. So our chances of ever hitting whatever target the government sets are, you know, it's 50-50 at best, I would have thought. I mean, it certainly isn't, it's just setting a target for the sake of it isn't a good idea. But I think what we need to do is look at what are the bottlenecks. If you you are running a company, if you're running a any institution, indeed, when you're running the country, you can only know if you're going to be successful if you give yourself a very clear target by specific um, uh, building blocks to hit that target. So I think if we're looking at this and, and we can determine exactly where we need these accom- this accommodation to be, it's much easier to address what's stopping that from being delivered. If we know that there's a challenge in planning applications in Sligo, or if we know that there is a specific issue in relation to the Galway housing market, we can address those much more carefully if we know what we're looking for in those locations. We Equally, we shouldn't be having conversations in the middle of the year about the level of PRS acquis- uh, uh, properties being acquired in particular units. If we know we have a particular target, let's say that we need 10,000 rental accommodations to be delivered um, into the housing market in the next 12 to 15 months. When that is delivered, that's when we we start to query um, whether or not we are over or under supplying that marketplace. At the moment, we have a very loose policy that we want to build X number of houses and we want to ensure the first-time buyers are getting as many of them as possible. That isn't good enough when you've got the depth of a housing crisis that we do. And we have the Land Development Authority, which was set up by the government to build uh, homes on state lands. They haven't got off to a great start. That planning application in NACE uh, fell very quickly and on a very simple issue around car parking. Yes, yeah. And it, it's, again, you know, we're only, we we will jump through many hurdles to get where we need to go, but we, we certainly still need to plough through these issues to try and, and, and get to, to what should be a more stable We've improved uh, the position in terms of price performance. We're seeing much less volatility in that area of the market, but we're not um, actually addressing the underlying reasons for that inherent volatility in the past, which is supply. What's your expectation for house prices this year? I think we'll see house price growth around uh, 5% in the market, largely driven by um, rural house price inflation rather than house price inflation in Dublin. Um, And that again reflects the fact that while we have been building more houses than we were in the past, we're not building them everywhere. And your expectation for the Dublin market? Dublin market probably be slightly less than five, somewhere between three to five percent. Three to five, okay. And w- which parts of the country are particularly hot at the minute in terms of price inflation? Um, 
the greatest level of price inflation is probably in the Western region at the moment. But I mean, it's not uniformly just there. We're seeing probably greater price inflation anywhere outside Dublin where there's greater affordability. Really, the macro potential policy rules are containing the more expensive locations in terms of price growth. But um, in more rural areas, Limerick and Galway are performing very well. The area around Dublin, the greater Dublin area, is also seeing stronger price inflation than Dublin itself. Owen, in terms of um, price inflation, I know the government is planning to come out with a a housing plan uh, very soon. They put it back. What are you expecting out of that? And and how might that help deliver a solution to the housing crisis that we have at the moment? Well, I suppose, you know, we never stray too far from the notion that supply is going to resolve the issue and any report you read about the property market that pinpoints supply or the chronic undersupply of the market as the seminal issue. But, you know, we, we've had massive uh, bouts of supply in the past and it hasn't delivered on affordability. And for me, that's a key metric. It's a core, a core issue is the relationship between incomes and rents and house prices. And that's broken in most countries. Uh, it's hard to think if if you think the average rent in Dublin is two thousand. Can you imagine um, when we reach you know supply of thirty thousand units a year or thirty five thousand units a year? That's going to come back down into affordable levels. My gut instinct is it won't. Uh, it may plateau and incomes may climb, which may you know help um, buyers and renters, but. Ultimately, that issue between um, earnings and house price and rent is broken. And it's not obvious where the solution lies. I think the point you made earlier, the government are going to announce, you know, a big uh, take up in supply, even though it's not within their gift to actually um, control supply. And as you say, the private market's not going to respond to the social or spatial needs of the country. They're going to reply to their own uh, metrics. And that may result in building in certain areas, in certain profitable areas, and less so in other areas. Uh, We saw all the ghost estates after the crash, which remained uh, unsold when the the market turned. So it's just not obvious um, which way we're going in this equation. We're going to see a big tick up in supply over the next five or six years. That's that's a definite. We could be on 26,000, 27,000 in one or two years. Uh, and as you said, 21,000 this year, if, if they're the kind of forecast, that's pretty good given the hiatus in construction for the first four months of the year. So um, it remains to be seen just where we're going in this property market. Uh, my, my gut instinct, unfortunately, is that we're going to be having these conversations and these issues Um well into the future. Marion Finnegan, um, when do you think the housing crisis will be solved? Easy question. Um, <laughs> very easy question, yeah. I mean, I think what Owen just said there is exactly what, what, what sums up the problem very, very clearly. So supply isn't a solution if it's not in the right location, the right type of property. So when we go back to those ghost estates, when we looked at the stock of available accommodation um, in the marketplace after the first, the last crash, we saw very high volumes in the coastal regions. The northwest region had significantly over 10% of their stock available for sale back in 2008, 2009, whereas Dublin actually still had a much lower percentage. So it is about delivering more stock, but delivering the right type of stock in the right location. That's what's critical in this. So that's why I think the whole um, policy has to be very, very clearly defined in terms of the type of accommodation or where it's being built. And we need to prioritise the locations where the demand is at its greatest. And at the moment, what we're seeing is a lot more construction activity occurring in what, as Owen just said, the affordable locations where people can see a return 
in the Greater Dublin area. That isn't a solution unless we want to have a greater commuter belt. So we do need to be very specific on, in terms of where we want this accommodation to be delivered and to match where the greatest employment locations are and therefore to limit the amount of commuting that people will have to do. Even if flexi-working becomes a permanent feature in the global economy, people still do have to travel to work in the main some days of the week. Yeah, but sure, that's never going to happen, is it? I mean, uh, we, we have shown over the years the government is always reactive rather than proactive, um, uh, you know, in the round. I, I'm not saying some, sometimes they get it right. And maybe the Land Development Agency will prove to have been a stroke of genius in years to come. But in the main, they're reactive rather than proactive. And we see that with the policy decisions that have been taken over the past 10 years, uh, for example, which have been put in place to help developers build in places where, I don't know, maybe the greatest need isn't, uh, isn't to be had. I think in terms of housing, the challenge we have, as you just said, Kieran, is that it has always been reactive. We have an opportunity now because we've had such a cyclical market to stand back and for once and for all have a 30 year plan where we look at where the locations are of greatest need and we start putting a plan to deliver that. If we don't do that, perhaps that's an outcome for the Housing Commission where they actually start delivering proper information, proper policy advice into the government. So we don't have a new government every year, every two years, who come up with a completely different set of, of plans around the housing sector. It isn't something that you can decide this year and make decisions for next year. We need to have a 30-year plan that we say, this is what Ireland should look like in 25, 30 years' time and this is how we get there. All right. And if Pascal Donoghue and um, Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar were sitting in front of you now, what, what would be your key piece of advice to them in terms of tackling the housing crisis? It is just as I said, Kieran. it's about having that long term plan and it is about looking at all elements of the marketplace. So we have a situation now where we have um, a singular focus for first time buyers, which is a bit like you know, a doctor telling you this is what you need to take because you have a headache, but not telling you exactly why you have a headache. So the problem uh, we have is that the first-time buyers clearly need more accommodation. One of the reasons for that is that the overall market is not functioning properly. We're not seeing the natural cycle of people trading up and trading down because there isn't accommodation for all of those people. If I live in a family home in Dublin 3 and my children have all left and I want to remain in Dublin 3, there's no choice for me to do that because nothing has been built for people trading down. So it is about saying of those 35 or 40,000 houses we need, there is a mix of all different types of accommodation and we need to actively encourage developers into those different markets. We know that would help to buy, even though it got a lot of bad press initially, it has delivered a lot more affordable accommodation. Starter homes in Ireland. Just think of how successful it would have been if we had more than one policy. If we had a policy for trading down, if we had a policy, a very definitive policy around investment properties that isn't just we want PRS, we want the IRS or the Kennedy Wilson of this world. We also want private investors to buy in Sligo and Mullingar and Bandless Slow and deliver accommodation for people who need it in those locations. And we need to really get behind that. It's very easy to have a lazy approach where you say, oh, the big bad landlord. The landlord is investing in our economy, delivering a much needed product. And why are they leaving? We need to get behind that and actually address those. And then and only then will we actually have a stable housing market. Yeah, mind you, I think the evidence from Help the Buy is that it has provided cash um, to a lot of people who probably didn't need it, would have been able to buy a home without it. Perhaps some people could have bought a home without it. But before we had help to buy, every single year, the average value of homes being built was going up significantly because developers were building only 
um, larger accommodation where they were certain of purchasers' um, ability to buy. Once we got home, uh, Hub to Buy in place, we saw a significant increase in starter homes being delivered. So whether nothing is perfect, I think we we try and find the fault with the policy. We'll never get enough um, uh, of the benefit from a long-term strategy. We now have a very large proportion of the homes being built are starter homes, and that's a good result. Okay, I'm not sure we'll uh, be able to have you on in 30 years' time, uh, Marion, to find out whether we have that solution <laughs> or not. But we'll certainly have you on again uh, in the period ahead uh, to see how we're getting on with the housing market. Marion Finnegan from Sherry Fitzgerald and Umbrook Kennedy of the Irish Times. Thank you for joining Inside Business. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Marion Finnegan and Umbrook Kennedy. My thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. The show was produced by Declan Collin with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.